Oh, hello. I see you've found the library. If you'll just hang on for a few seconds. 60 at most, uh, 59 at least. Uh, so about a minute, essentially. Just hang on a minute. Uh, oh god, oh no. Oh no. Oh, look at that. Oh, that's bad. Oh, this is not good at all. Oh no. Um, right. I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll just sort that out later. Uh, okay. Yeah, later. Uh, hello. I, I see you found the library. I'm really sorry about that. I was just trying to find the geography section, but all I found was a very unstable shelf. So now I'll have to clean all of those books up later, which I don't look forward to. I find quite a lot of people come to the library because they're trying to get away from something. Whether it be a responsibility, or a deadline, or just the concept of boredom in and of itself. I'm not sure if you came here for any of those reasons, but I know for certain that you came here for a story. And as I've said before, what kind of librarian would I be if I didn't give you one? But to make up for the mess, I'm actually going to do you one better. I'm going to give you two stories today. Just to give you a flavour of these stories, the first line of the first story is Wake up in the morning feeling like All right, where the hell are my pants? And the first line of the second story is I live in a city of forgotten gods. So we're going from Spongebob pants to forgotten gods today. It should be quite interesting, so get comfortable. Whether you're standing, sitting, lying, or in some sort of strange yoga position, and now I'll begin. This is an untitled short story by Chloe Walker. Wake up in the morning feeling like, All right, where the hell are my pants? I yelped, strutting around in my Spongebob boy shorts. I welcomed myself into my sister's room. Did you take my pants? No, why would I... She began. Then where are they? Probably in the fridge or something. Oh, please. Do I look like someone who'd leave their pants in the fridge? What do you take me for? Ella, check the fridge. Fine, but you owe me a fiver if you're wrong. Make it ten, she smirked. I turned around and walked out towards the kitchen to check the fridge and got ready to yell an insult at my sister and claim my money when my dad walked in holding my jeans. Oh, thank goodness, Dad. Where were they? He did a nod towards the fridge. Why were these, he shook them in my face, in the vegetable drawer? I could ask you the same question. It was probably Lou, actually. Silly Lou, haha. <laughs> I sped up my speech and snatched my jeans, then hurried off back upstairs to be greeted by a smiling Lou with her hand outheld. Ten pounds, please, she mimicked a shopkeeper. Bog off. I tickled her on her neck and ran into my room, sitting behind the door so she couldn't get in. I'll get you, she jokingly threatened. I'll ready the battle force. Sarcasm was my second language. We both laughed through the closed door before I realized. I dropped my pants outside the door. Lou had my pants. I burst through my bedroom door and pounded against Luce. Damn it, woman, give me my pants! She opened the door and I fell face first onto the crummy carpet. All digestives. Ugh. I looked up and she was dangling them from the window. Lou! I was still lying on the floor with one arm outstretched to save my pants. She threw her head back in laughter and unintentionally let go. 
balls. She tried to contain her laughter. (laughs) Sorry, Elle. She fell onto her bed in hysterics. I'm gonna molly you, come here! I scrambled up and pounced, tickling her neck and feet, her prime tickly spots, again. Oh! My dad yelled from downstairs. Yes? I replied, pausing, attacking my twin sister. Why did I just see your pants fall out of the window? Dad, I have an evil twin. She threw my pants out of the window because she's a scrub. I yelled back. Excuse you! Lou laughed. I stopped attacking Lou, stood up and sighed. Welp, guess I gotta go get my pants. Them damn pants cause more trouble than they're worth! My dad proclaimed. Luckily, my pants fell out of the back of the house, meaning two things. I didn't have to go out of the front door onto the street pantless, and they didn't fall onto the fertilized flower bed. Would not enjoy. I opened the back door without checking my surroundings and walked straight out to retrieve the golden prize. But when I got back up, I saw it. Our neighbours, also twins of our age, were standing right outside our gate and I'd given them a VIP viewing of my Spongebob backside. Rough morning, Al, Jen giggled. She's the female of the twins. Uh, My pants were in the fridge ten minutes ago. It's been weird. I smiled back, blushing red. We weren't close, but we'd hung out before. I waved them off and walked back in, finally putting my pants on. I've really got to hang on to my pants from now on. The End This is Pompeii by Orion I live in a city of forgotten gods. I see Zeus on my morning jog through the park across the street from my apartment. The sky is grey and heavy with rain waiting to fall, to splatter itself against the population below. Fog rolls over the skeletal remains of trees not yet revived by spring. The drone of taxicabs and the wail of police sirens rattle around my skull until I drown them out with a generic running playlist. The only other occupants of the park are the women I see every morning, pushing strollers, headphones jammed into their ears as if they were mirrors of me, and Zeus. He is in an ill-fitting suit, carrying a tattered briefcase with official-looking documents peeking out of the holes in the sides. Dark hair that may have once been sleek and polished now sits in a nest enviable by the rats in the sewers. He leers at the women, who shy away from the cobalt blue of his gaze. I am used to the stares of men as I run past, that's what the headphones are for, but his voice passes the level of responsible listening, and his calls rumble in my chest like the timpani roll of thunder. I pause just long enough to lift a middle finger and pull my phone from my pocket, threatening to call the police, and he retreats into the shadows of a dead tree. I stop next to one of the girls he'd been eyeing. She can't be older than sixteen. Her cheeks are still round, the skin around her eyes unlined. I ask her if there is anyone I can call for her. She says no. I had known the answer before I asked. I cast one final glance at Zeus in the shadows before I resume my run and silently remind myself to watch the news tonight. I begin planning a new jogging route. My apartment is cluttered and grey. Running shoes pile up on the rubber mat next to the entryway and provide a tiny splash of colour. Rows of hanging plants nearly obscure the window on the far side of the loft and other potted plants dot the coffee table, the shelves, anywhere a flower pot could fit. A light blinks on and off on my answering machine like a sun drifting behind clouds. I missed a call from the garage. My car has been repaired. Hephaestus's shop is nearly a two-mile walk from my house, 
As I start down the sidewalk, Apollo begins to croon. His hair is filthy and matted, and he bears a scraggly beard with a veritable buffet around his mouth. He readjusts the cardboard sign against the coarse bricks behind him. It bears his story. I drop the change rattling in my pockets into the open guitar case in front of him. The stickers on its plastic shell are faded and scraped, but still faintly readable. They bear the names of great venues from the entire world spanning thousands of years of travel. He strums a chord in response to the bell-like clatter of the coins. Despite the apparent low quality and age of the instrument, it's surprisingly in tune. He mumbles a thanks, unable to meet my eyes, and then casts a longing glance at the overcast sky. If he's waiting for something, it doesn't happen. He sighs and begins to sing. His voice is as smooth as his appearance is grizzled. It follows me along the city block as I hurry away. A protest is forming outside the local NYPD department, just a block from my destination. It is led by a young woman with unnaturally silver hair and skin as dark as night. She lifts a sign over her head, screaming. The chant is taken up by the amassed crowd, which is growing by the second. A detective walks outside. She raises her hands, leering. I duck my head as I walk past. Both the police and the protesters grow more agitated, and for moments it feels as if the peaceful demonstration will tip into violence. But it doesn't. Artemis continues to chant. The crowd surges forward but restrains itself, stopped by some invisible force. Perhaps it's fear. Perhaps it's something more. Some punk song issues from someone's pocket. The police, upon hearing it, grab Artemis's forearms. She wrenches away. The song stops. Hephaestus has hair like Apollo would if Apollo had a home. Shaggy black hair hangs into his eyes and a tiny flame smoulders from within the depths of his beard. What is visible of his face is creased with laugh lines, but his beetle eyes show no sign of ever knowing mirth as I step inside. He moves slowly and deliberately. A brace around his knee impedes his movement. When I had dropped my car off after being rear-ended, he'd been in a wheelchair. I guess today is a better day. The gold of his wedding band glitters in the light, although I have seen his wife and another man at the restaurant on my corner. He winces as he approaches, and begins profusely apologizing. My car, he explains, is not yet finished. He has another client with my name, and he must have misdialed. As if I do not believe him, he pulls a phone from his pocket. The background is his wife. I assure him that I have no issues and ask him to call when it is finished. He hesitates for a moment before assuring me yes, he will. I wave goodbye and leave. The protest has disbanded, but an ambulance is parked on the sidewalk. Police wrap the area in crime scene tape like a morbid Christmas present. I turn left. This neighborhood is well known for being the most disputed piece of gang turf in my area. The rival leaders are Ares and Athena. One particular street is a crime scene more often than it is not. The buildings surrounding it are heavily graffitied. I once had a long conversation with Athena over our morning coffees when we crossed paths in my favorite cafe. She told me of the great freezers in her old home, and how if she walked down the street at night, she could almost pretend they were too. I gaze at the tags as I pass. I don't see how they could possibly be mistaken for freezers. Perhaps Athena needed to see them, and I am merely curious. Ares glances at me as I pass. He bears a puckered scar along one cheek and a tattered eye patch. A group of young boys surround him, bearing the rust brown of his gang. 
they leer at me from the shadows, sunlight sending spots of silver dancing across coarse bricks as it glints off the knives and gunmetal concealed in their hands and the crooks of their arms. They pace along the length of the sidewalk like chained fighting dogs, but Ares follows my movements with detached, cool disinterest. My hand instinctively moves to the keys in my front pocket, creating claws that are a poor defense against their weapons. For some reason, Ares unsettles me more than the lower-ranking members do, even though he barely moves. He nudges the duffel bag at his feet. As I pass them, I catch a whiff of the smell of smoke. It's not from cigarettes. I assume it is what's in that bag. I recognize the camouflage of the marines on that bag. I do not continue to look. I have a date at 7.30 that night. I do not expect them to show up. It's a blind date set up by a flaky friend of mine, one I haven't heard from since her very public breakup with her boyfriend over Facebook. I assume she's somewhere in New Jersey with her family, where she will complain about how men are dogs and how she will never love another again until the newest self-proclaimed king of romance catches her eye. Her last one was named Adolfo. I try not to think of him and the one time I met him and his five poodles as I get dressed. I choose a blue sundress, a cardigan, and boots. If this guy is going to leave me at the bar, I might as well look good for myself. My one tattoo peeks around the shoulder strap of the dress, a long line of ivy and violet starting just above my elbow and winding its way down my spine. I frown, gazing at the ink and shrug into the cardigan. The bar I was told to meet my date at is dark and dingy. Unmarked doors with grimy windows partially covered by slatted blinds line the back corner. Men flash small Ziploc baggies and vials and powdered happiness across the room with one another. I sit at the bar, but do not order anything. I see Dionysus murmuring to one of those men. He could be a walking neon sign. His hair is a bright purple. His clothes are the fluorescence of seedy bars and casinos I once saw on my trip to Vegas. His cheap plastic necklace flashes a strobe rainbow, and glow stick bracelets turn the track mark on his wrists a sickly yellow green. As he totters past me, nearly blinding me with the sheer overwhelming amount of color, I catch the smell of wine. In his fists are clenched several of the white baggies one of the men were flaunting. In the other, a rolled dollar bill. He casts a wary glance over his shoulder before disappearing into the single-stall bathroom. Quiet night, isn't it? The bartender asks. I jump, startled, and wonder for a moment if she's talking to me. Then I nod. Want to watch the news? I nod again, remembering the girl in the park I had encountered that morning. Stood up on a date? It's not like I was expecting him to come. Still can't be the best feeling in the world. I shrug. She turns on the small TV mounted in the corner. The image ripples and wavers for a moment, and she strikes the side with a clenched fist. The face of a reporter fades into focus. He continues the sentence that he'd been speaking before we'd joined his world. An odd rash of deaths had occurred in my neighborhood earlier in the day. Two people had died in a park, and one victim's wife had been arrested in connection. Two more men were dead after a fight in one's auto shop over a girl, of course. The girl had been arrested in connection too. A promising young college student was dead, apparently because of gang involvement, and the person who had shot her was dead too. Some sort of drug overdose. A homeless man had been mugged for the loose change in his guitar case, and when he'd refused to turn over the guitar he was holding, he'd been killed. The most notable death, according to the reporter, was the shooting death of a young woman at an otherwise peaceful protest. That's enough of that, the bartender insists, clicking off the television. Enough of that depressing thing. Let's listen to the radio, eh? A dark-haired, oily-skinned man walks out of the men's bathroom and leans onto the counter, 
I do believe a man has overdosed in the stall next to mine, he says coolly. He nods to me as he walks past, and the bartender blanches and bolts to the bathroom. Persephone, he says. Hades, I say to my ex-husband. He walks out of the bar. The radio continues to play. I lean my back against the bar and listen to the song playing over the radio. It's last year's song, overplayed in my opinion, even though I never had paid much mind to the lyrics. I do now. I find myself agreeing with what the singer is saying. Nothing really had changed at all. The End I cannot imagine reading both of those stories in the same book, so in a way we're blessed with a very rare opportunity today to hear them both in the same half an hour. But, I have to be honest, I chose two stories today mostly so that I could procrastinate on clearing up all the books that I knocked over. And now I'm really going to have to go and clean them up, otherwise the library will get very angry at me. You don't want to see the library when she's angry. Oh. So yeah, what I'm saying is I have to go and clean up now. Um, you'd better go. But I hope you enjoyed the stories. I did. I thought they were both brilliant. And so, all of that being said, I will see you later. Today's stories were an untitled short story by Chloe Walker and Pompeii by Orion. To hear your story read on the library, attach it to an email and send that email to librarypodcast at gmail.com. That's librarypodcast at gmail.com. Have a nice day. Don't drop any books. <laughs>